So let me encourage you to consider being part of Rooted um, starting January 14th and, and sign up uh, via the Church Center app. Just an update on our harvest offering. Um, to date, we've received just a little over $29,000. So thank you. You guys are incredibly generous through your giving. Um, and what, what I love about the harvest offering is uh, we're able to impact children. You know, part of our, our offering,
goes to uh, the local schools in Northeast Nebraska that we have a connection with, connection to either a teacher, administrator, or staff. And then we are able to bless that school who in turn identifies the children's need um, with gift cards, with just we want to financially support the schools so that they can bless those children. The, the other part of our harvest offering this year is going to go towards a playground out on our, our, our property here. And if all goes as planned, we'll, that installation will begin in the spring. Uh, today also begins Advent season. Christmas time is here. Um, and we've made some Advent devotions available to you. Um, they are on Journey's page on the YouVersion Bible app, or if you want the paper version. Uh, we have some copies available at the front desk in the lobby or at the starting point table as well. And with Christmas Eve just around the corner, just want to remind you guys we've adjusted and changed our worship schedule for that Sunday, December 24th. Um, we're not going to meet in the mornings, so just made it, make a note of that. Our worship is going to be the candlelight communion services in the afternoon. So we have two services that are identical, one's at 3, one's at 4.30. Um, these are candlelight communion services. It's a very simple time focusing on Jesus, telling the, scripture, uh, telling the Christmas story through Scripture, and celebrating communion together. Uh, Christmas Eve is always a, a crowded time, but you notice lately we are growing. Our Sunday morning services are getting full. So if you consider Journey your church home, I want to ask you to do three things. One is to move up and then move in and park far. And by that, I mean just make space in our sanctuary for more, more people. It's a sign of spiritual maturity if you sit in the front row. Isn't that right? Yep. They're up here. Amen, brother. So just um, quite often our visitors, they, they wait till the last minute to come in. And if it's hard to find a seat, uh, that just discourages visitors. So uh, if you don't mind, move up a few rows and then move in, leave some space on, on the ends. And by park far, I mean uh, drop people off at the door and then fill the outer rings first. Um, again, j just a way to um, welcome our guests here at Journey. Well, there's a crazy story at the start of, the, of our Bible. It tells us that Adam and Eve are, are in the Garden of Eden. And everything in the garden is great, just as God designed it exactly as it should be. Uh, but there's this one tree in the garden that God told Adam and Eve not to eat from because it's dangerous and ultimately will kill them. They said, he said, avoid this tree and everything will be fine. It seems pretty simple, right? Well, that's Genesis chapter 1. But in the garden, there's this serpent, there's a snake that starts telling a different story to Adam and Eve. And the story, he says, is that if you eat this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the serpent and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enter into God's creation. God's good plan. Well, that's Genesis chapter 3. Now, why is there a talking serpent in the garden? You know, this is a problem. It's kind of strange. But what's even more strange is that the Bible does not tell us why or how this talking serpent even got there. It just presents the serpent 
as this creature who is in rebellion against God. And he wants to get other people in rebellion to God's goodness and lead them down a path of destruction. And so whatever the serpent is, the serpent is the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even down to today. But in those early chapters of our Bible, there is hope. Because there's an interesting promise to Adam and Eve that someone is going to come in the future, a son of the of Eve, and this person, this king, is going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its very source. But however, during this battle where this king crushes the serpent's head, the, this person, this man is, is going to be bitten by the serpent on his heel. And that's Genesis 3, verse 15 going to be wounded there's going to, but there's going to be mutual destruction it's this very strange but beautiful promise we find and that's just the first three chapters of our bible and we're just kind of left hanging there until the next moment uh, a few chapters later when god singles out this guy named abraham and he gives this promise to abraham that through his family all peoples on earth are going to be blessed and Adam's fam, Abraham's family is going to be a blessing to the whole world. Well, that's Genesis chapter 12. And as, as we follow Abraham's family, we see, we see one of his great-grandsons is a guy named Judah. We read about Judah in Genesis 49. And Judah receives a promise that a king would come from his tribe, his line, and that the whole world would follow this king. And this king is going to bring peace and harmony, and, and scripture begins to talk about this feast at the end of times where there's going to be food and wine and milk and vineyards, and everything is going to return to the way God designed it. So there's that promise that we find in Genesis 49. So then, this, then there's this whole line of kings that start. And the first king that we meet from the line of Judah is this guy named David. And he's kind of a hero. And, and people begin to think maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake. In fact, just the opposite. But however, God makes a promise to David that, that this king that scripture talks about would come from his family line. So as we go through the story of the Old Testament, we see king after king, generation after generation has gone by, generations of David's sons and kings sit on the throne and they're just total chumps. They just biff it time and time again. They give in to the serpent, they give in to evil, and they go after money and sex and power and following other gods and things get so bad that God raises up another nation called Babylon that drives Israel into the ground and brings them into exile, pulls them out of his land. And now even as the, new, as the Old Testament closes, there's not even a king left. Well, those are dark days for the nation of Israel. But even in those dark periods, God raises up this crazy group of, of men called prophets. And these prophets begin to reignite people and talk again about a coming king. 
reminding them of the promise that was made and that when this king comes, he's going to defeat evil. He's going to restore the life that was in the garden. And one specific prophet named Isaiah, he, he begins to tell us why this king was bitten on the heel back in Genesis chapter the prophet Isaiah tells us that this king was bitten. He was wounded because of, of humanity's evil. And he was wounded so that we could find healing. Because Isaiah tells us that, you know, the serpent will kill him, but all of a sudden, this king is going to come back. And Isaiah tells us that he is going to be the source of healing, and people begin to wait and hope for this king the special anointed one that scripture begins to call the Messiah. But even as the Old Testament ends, this snake-crushing king that everybody's been waiting for, everybody's been talking about, that the prophets have been prophesying about, this snake-crushing king never shows up. Well, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth. And this is not some random guy from the region known as Galilee, but someone who comes to fulfill these very specific teachings and prophecies. So in Matthew's gospel, the very first book in the New Testament, it introduces Jesus with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son Matthew begins right away from page one of his gospel that the snake crusher has arrived. And that brings us up to the, the Christmas story that we often, that, that has become familiar to us over the years. You know, today, since today begins Advent, we're going to go through a series of sermons focused on the names of Jesus. We're entitling this series, He Shall Be Called, and each week we focus on a name. Now, I thought about calling today's sermon, Jesus the Snake Crusher, but I'm going to go with a more familiar term that you might have heard, and that is Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you do a little dictionary work of that, of that word Messiah, you'll learn that it's a Hebrew word. It's in the language of the Old Testament. Um, it means anointed. But when that word Messiah is translated into Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, it becomes the word Christ. And they both mean the same thing. So Christ or Messiah is a title, it's a designation. It means God's special anointed one. And so when we say Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. It's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, because it's God's anointed one, as God's anointed one to be the snake crusher and to destroy so the genealogy of jesus found in matthew chapter one introduces us to jesus as this man now this is not a typical uh christmas passage from the bible that that you might not you know you, you don't always go to matthew chapter one and read a genealogy and list of names at christmas time but this is going to be good I, I promise you because here in this genealogy this family line, these, all these lists of names, we're going to see both flowers and thorns in the family line. There's going to be men and women there that are just like producing branches and other ones that just leave us why they 
are there for you. Well, this morning I want to look at three benchmarks that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And the first is simply that Jesus came from, from the right line, the right bloodline, because Matthew says at the very beginning that not only is Jesus Messiah, but he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham and David, for the Israelites, they were like foundational key people. I don't know, they'd be like... In our day, George Washington, Ben Franklin-ish kind of people, they were, they were symbolic of who they were as a people. And if you miss seeing them in this genealogy, in, in this list at the beginning and the end, um, you miss everything. So why are these names important? Why are these men important? Well, it's because of the promises that I mentioned. The promise to Abraham remember was that he would be a blessing to all nations. We read about that in Genesis chapter 12. The first few verses of that chapter says to, um, God says to Abram, that was his name at the time, he later becomes Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So through Abraham, through his offspring, God is going to raise up this people that we come to know as Israel, and they're going to be a blessing to the entire to the people of Israel and beyond outside of then the promise given to David is one of an eternal reign on the throne, that a king from the line of David will always rule forever. There will always be a kingdom for him. And it says in 2 Samuel, verse 7, about this promise, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Right away in the very first sentence of Matthew, Matthew points out that both of these promises come to fruition in Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of He's showing us that Jesus hits both those targets, Abraham and David, just as Scripture promised. In other words, Jesus had this divine pedigree to be the Messiah. He, he is an Israelite. He's from the tribe of Judah and from that specific family line within the tribe of Judah, the family of David. So Jesus has all of that going for him. Well, let's read a little further into his family line and, and read the first six verses of this genealogy. And we're going to see some interesting things in here. Again, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab, 
Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz. Mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed. His mother was Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. It's really an eclectic family line, but it's the right line to accomplish the right task that God has set for you. You know, when, when my dad re retired years ago, uh, he needed something to do. So in the first months after his retirement, he set out on this goal to study our family genealogy. He wanted to trace our line to see how far he, he, he could go. And he confirmed that we come from a long line of Norwegian, Lutheran, Wisconsin dairy farmers. That, that's who we are. And that, that, means, that means that we have the right breeding to deliver milk to the local creamery. I mean, that's, that's who the Fremsteads are. It means cheese runs in our blood veins, you know. But I'm not a cheesehead. I'm not a packer. You know, that doesn't mean much outside of this small dairy region in Wisconsin where the Fremsteads hailed from. But for Jesus, coming from the right line meant everything. Connected him to his people, to their heritage, and the hope of his people. The second be be benchmark that we see this morning is that Jesus came at the right time. I'm going to jump to the end of the genealogy that we find in Matthew uh, and look at verse 17 because I think Matthew wants us to see this. So he ends the genealogy. He ends this list of names by saying this. Thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So when you look at it, he structures his genealogy in three groups of 14. So in doing so, I think Matthew is highlighting the history of Israel and the timing that's taken place through it all. You could think of their history like a capital letter N. The first 14 generations, and things are going good, and, and they're, they're reaching a climax. Um, they're heading towards Abraham and David. But then the second 14 is like this downward spiral from Solomon to the Babylon exile. Things go from bad to worse to now they're no longer a nation. Then the final 14 move upward again in, in the hope and fulfillment from the exile to coming Christ, coming Messiah. And that structure just reveals God's perfect timing in sending Jesus. In, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes that perfect timing this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It said, when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Other versions say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. In, in other words, God perfectly designed history around the birth of Jesus. But have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come to earth today in, in 2023 era and time frame? Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to be really thankful that I grew up in the area before social media and before like TikTok and posting stuff online. Because I did all my stupid stuff before social media was around. And there's not proof that I did 
But, you know, what, why not Jesus? Why wouldn't he come to earth in the, area of, in the era of television, Internet, YouTube videos, TikTok, and Snapchat? Then everything that he did would be, you know, accurately, precisely recorded and documented. And there'd be like CNN reporters and paparazzi three feet from Jesus and his disciples wherever they went. They'd be going from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and the paparazzi crowd would be right there taking pictures. They'd, they'd have live streaming videos of everything that, that he did. You know, the evening news would, would begin with today in the life of Christ, and they would tell the latest miracle, the latest story, you know, and they'd say, hey, today Jesus walked on water. Here's the live footage. And you could look, and there's Jesus walking on water, you know, and it would be great. Then years in the, in the future when people would begin to, to question the claims of Jesus, somebody would pull out their computer contraption and say, look, it's all on video. Here it is. And the most viewed video on YouTube, hands down, would be the resurrection of Jesus. Millions of views. And Ken Burns would make a documentary on it. Millions of people would watch it on PBS. Reporters would be given play-by-play, and it'd all be there in front of us. You know, sometimes I wish God's timing was different. But remember, God designed and orchestrates history. So when Jesus did come around 3 or 4 B.C., there was, at that time, the first time in history, an interconnected road system around the whole known world at that time thanks to the Roman army and their engineering skills. They built roads to get their armies different places, and it just so happened to work really well for all transportation. But also during that time, there was a period of peace. There was no wars ravaging the areas. Again, thanks for the presence of Romans, and that allowed for safe travel. So you had roads to get there, safety to get there. But even more so, there was a common language at the time, which was Greek. That was kind of the trade language used throughout the Mediterranean area. And they could communicate across cultures. So all of those things combined helped the spread of the gospel. Those early apostles, they could travel, they could communicate, and they could get to the major cities safely. The gospel spread. And church planting spread. See, Jesus hits all of those right eventually. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's from the right line, the right time, you know, 14, 14, and 14. But it's not simply that Jesus came as a Jew from a lineage of kings. It's not just that he came at the perfect time in history. It's also the design of why he came so perfectly. See, Jesus came with a design. And this is where the genealogy of Jesus gets really interesting and fun. I mean, there's a few interesting people in that list of names. And they would be, you know, considered thistles and thorns by some of the more legalistic Jews who, for example, would focus on, like, uh, moral purity, racial purity. And they would look at this family line and scoff at it. You know, they would see them as invasive weeds and not, you know, true Jewish people. You know, one thing about the holidays is that the holidays are great because they bring family together. The, ho- the holidays are also stressful because they bring families together. You know what I mean? 
family members that you might just as soon forget about, you know, embarrassed that this person carries the same last name as you. I think sometimes Christmas puts the fun in dysfunctional families. You know, we, we look down our family tree line sometimes and we can shake our head. You know, not everybody on our family tree is rock stars and movers and shakers and wonderful people. There's a few branches that you might want to prune and forget about. Maybe your family line, family tree looks more like a family tumbleweed and not a tree. But you know what? If that's you, then you're in good company. Because you're not the only one with a few thorns and invasive weeds into your family tree. Let's look at the lineage of Jesus for a moment. It includes five women or in Jesus' day, which would have been unheard of because women were not valued. They had no legal right. But, but the line, Matthew points out the lineage that includes Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, the wife of Uriah that we know as Bathsheba, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. But even that was designed with a purpose. It was part of the plan. As women take on a key role in Jesus' ministry, in, in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus raises the value of women for the first time in history. But it goes on because not all of these women are even Israelites. They're not even Jewish. Four out of the five are Gentiles. Tamar and Rahab, they were Canaanites, a race of, the, of people that Israelites were for, forbidden by God to intermarry. Ruth, she was a Moabite, and Moabites warred against Israel and worshipped different gods. You know, then there was Bathsheba. She was the wife of Uriah, who was a Hittite, so she would have been considered a Hittite. So to an Orthodox Jew, the whole bloodline was, was tainted. And then even, even more, some of these women had kind of questionable backgrounds. Tamar, she dressed and disguised herself as a prostitute in order to sleep with her father-in-law, Judah, to give her a legal Forget the Desperate Housewives reruns, just read Genesis 38. Then Rahab, she actually was a prostitute in Jericho, but she became a woman of faith and was commended for being a woman of faith. You know, so even these questionable backgrounds are part of God's design. Or they prepare us and lead us up to the story of a young woman, a virgin who miraculously conceives and gives birth to the Messiah. And I think Jesus, his line and Matthew describing this in his genealogy, he wants us to point out that there was no like pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus came from a bunch of sinners. You know, even the list of kings that are, are there, they were not righteous, God-fearing kings. Even guys like Abraham, he lied. Judah sold his brother into slavery. You know, David was an adulterer and a murderer. It's like Matthew put these people in the winter's mouth of Because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came not, not for the righteous, but the unrighteous, just like Matthew was a tax collector, like Rahab was a prostitute. The Messiah came to be like us. I invite the praise team back up this morning. And, you know, Jesus came from the right line that God wanted, came at the right time that God had orchestrated. But I think more importantly, we can't miss this in the genealogy. 
came with the right design, right purpose, and that's for sinners like me. See, God entered the world to restore a relationship that was broken when the serpent spewed those lies about God. Jesus, as the Messiah, crushed the head of the serpent, and through his life, death, resurrection, we can have that real relationship with our creator again. The journey of this relationship calls for response of faith. So let me ask you this morning. What will you do with Jesus this Christmas? Jesus wants a relationship with you. That's part of his design. That's why he came. And he gives us that invitation today to step into that relationship with him. So if you're ready to say yes to that, I pray that you are. I pray that you get off the fence and say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to do that, come talk to me or talk to Adam, and we can have that conversation what it looks like to take a next step Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just this genealogy in Matthew that just points us to the purpose of your son, Jesus. I thank you that he is the Messiah, the one that came to crush evil and to bring us into a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this Christmas season that Jesus can be more than just a child in a manger, that he, he can be our Messiah, our God, our Savior. So Lord, stir in our hearts for that moment. We pray in your name. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.